and welcome to the New Life Lutheran Podcast, where new life in Christ is celebrated, and we explore together how to live the Christian life with excellence. Thanks for listening today. You can find our podcast at nllutheranpodcast.com. You can also subscribe on Podbean, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Play Music. If you have any questions for Pastor Eric or would like to suggest topics for our podcast, you can email him at eric.anderson, that's E-R-I-K dot A-N-D-E-R-S-O-N at nllutheran.com. Let's get growing. Our scripture this morning comes from the 15th chapter of the book of Luke. Let those who have ears to hear, hear this. Then Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them, the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country where he squandered, and there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough to spare? But here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. And then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet, and get the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his elder son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard the music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked, what's going on? He replied, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf, because he has got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him. But he answered his father, Listen, for all these years I have been working like a slave for you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, you, he has, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. This is the word of the Lord. 
We're continuing our sermon series called um, Erasing Envy. I'm Eric. I'm not Pastor Ben. You may have noticed um, Pastor Ben is taking a well-deserved vacation. And so he is with his family down in Missouri and they are enjoying their time. And so I'll just bill you double for this morning. That's okay. Not a big deal. Um, today is Christ the King Sunday, as uh, Danny mentioned. And uh, generally, traditionally, we take this time and we read some texts about Jesus being the ruler of the cosmos, the ruler of the world. We read some passages about Jesus' authority, and we kind of explore that. We're not doing that today um, because of, we're going through the sermon series because of uh, the Thanksgiving time. Uh, but I do just want to make a note um, as we kind of end our the Christian calendar this summer or this Sunday, and we start the new calendar. Um, next year in Advent, um, when it comes to Christ being king, um, we have had a lot of drama coming out of uh, Washington, D.C. the last several years, last couple decades, and especially this week with some of the hearings. Um, And so I guess I just want to say, thank God that Jesus is king. Amen? Uh, because it's kind of a mess. So thank God that uh, the president isn't king. Thank God that the speaker of the house isn't king. Thank God that the Congress and the Senate are not king. Jesus is the ruler, and our rulers in Washington, D.C. are on borrowed time. They're just set there um, to govern well, and they'll have to um, face Jesus as the true king, and they'll uh, be judged accordingly for that. And so they do, they do what they can, um, and they rule, and that's good that, that we have rulers on earth, but Jesus is king, and thank God, because Jesus is good, he's gentle, he's self-sacrificing, he's all the things that many of our politicians aren't and can't do, and so Jesus rules and he is our ruler. So praise the Lord for that. So that's, I'll leave that um, for Christ the King Sunday at that. Well, this week we're celebrating something pretty special, aren't we? Right? Thanksgiving. And, uh, and so the past few weeks, uh, we've been looking at some passages. We haven't been looking at Thanksgiving. We've kind of been looking at the opposite of Thanksgiving, um, which is envy. In the past few weeks, we've been looking at this word, this sin um, called envy. And what we've kind of determined is that envy is seeing something that you want and then desiring it, right? Spending your time thinking about it and dwelling on it. And eventually that, that can lead to the fruit of action. We saw that with Adam and Eve, that she saw the fruit, that it was good to give wisdom and it was beautiful to the eye. She desired it and then she took it. We actually heard in the Cain and Abel story that envy was at the heart of Cain's, um, Cain's sin. He saw his brother's offering and he ended up killing his own brother because of um, this, this uh, issue that he was having, because of this envy that was growing out of him. And we heard later in the Old Testament, one of the climactic characters of the Old Testament, King David, um, he was uh, actually taken down because of envy. He was envious of someone else's wife, and uh, then he actually acted on it, and he committed adultery, and then killed the husband. And in his story, that's kind of the pivot point where his downfall comes. We've actually seen that in the Old Testament, envy kind of lies at the heart of sin. It's kind of the root from which all other sins kind of grow and flourish. And then into the New Testament, we've heard some stories about envy, and we've actually uh, used this verse kind of as a theme verse. You've heard it a couple times, Uh, but this is what James says in his letter. He says, for where there is envy and selfish ambition, which are closely related because envy is seeing something, desiring it, wanting it, and oftentimes we act on that thing, and it's kind of a selfish uh, desire. There will also be disorder 
and wickedness of every kind. So where our envy uh, kind of bubbles up and acts out, um, we see that it causes all sorts of horrible sins, all sorts of, of ruin into the world. And so envy kind of serves as this root by which the devil uses us to, uh, to send disorder and sin out into the world. So we've been looking at some ways this this November, the month that we celebrate Thanksgiving, how we can erase envy from our lives. How can we struggle with this sin and how can we actually fight this sin in our lives? And, and if you want to hear uh, those past sermons, we do have them online or on the podcast. There's three of them. This is the fourth one and also the final one. Next week, we begin our Advent series. We begin to, to talk about Christmas and all the expectations that we have in the Christmas season. Today, uh, we're taking a little bit of a side door approach to talk about envy. You may have heard um, in our Luke chapter 15 passage, a story that you know pretty well, right? And we call it this, the story of the prodigal son. You probably all know this word, even if you don't come to church or know the Bible, you probably know this phrase, you probably even know what it means. You may even know the details of the story of the prodigal son. Um, And as I was reading it, you're like, oh yes, I know this one, I know this story. This is one of the most popular passages of scripture, Um, and non-Christians and Christians alike understand what this story is and understand basically what happens in this story. And I have a question for you guys before we get going. This word prodigal? Do you know what that means? Did you use that word this week at all? I didn't use it. Do you know what that means? I don't know what it means, right? Um, But I actually found out this week, so for those of you who care um, about uh, vocabulary and that kind of stuff, prodigal means lavish, right? Because I always thought it meant the going away and coming back, but it actually means lavish. It's uh, the same root word in Latin that we get the word prestige from. So this kind of like big, you know, um, showiness. That's, that's what prodigal means. So that referencing, that's actually a reference to him going and spending the money lavishly. He lavishes himself with all sorts of good stuff. So this is the story of the prodigal son that we read today. Um, but the problem is, uh, as we are, are tempted to do as humans, um, as we read this story, we kind of see ourselves in it, which is a good thing. And we say, oh, well, we're the prodigal son, which you are, right? We go away from God's will. We come back and God embraces us. That's the story. And that's true. We are the prodigal son, but it's also totally human of us to make ourselves the main character in the story. Because when we call this story, the prodigal son, we're assuming that it's the younger son who's the main character. But he's not actually the main character. This is how the story starts. Luke 15. Then Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. The main character that's introduced is not the son, but is actually the father. So what we're going to do today, um, briefly... We're not going to go, usually we go through scripture line by line because this is a story that's well known. Um, I didn't want to approach it that way. Uh, It's also very long, but I'm going to retell this story to you um, with some of my own commentary. But I'm going to tell it to you looking at it from the vantage point of the main character, who is not the prodigal son, but the main character of this story is actually the surprising father. So my, uh, my challenge to you is that this story should actually be called the story of the surprising father. So about 2,000 years ago in Israel, in the ancient Near East, it was a very formal culture. Um, it was very patriarchal, right? So the, the father um, was the man. He was kind of the ruler of his domain. His children, even his adult children, would still kind of be considered property. He still had a lot of rights over his adult children. 
And uh, we, we hear about this man who's actually really fairly wealthy. Um, he has a, a nice big farm. He has lots of income, uh, several slaves and servants. And, uh, and in this time, if you were rich, there weren't, uh, you, there were no venture capitalists 2000 years ago in Israel. There was no wall street speculation. If you were wealthy, you were born into a wealthy family usually, and you worked hard your whole life on your father's farm until your father, uh, died, passed away. And then you would, uh, inherit the farm from him if you were the older, oldest son. And so then you had to work your whole life to earn this property, to earn this inheritance. And then you really had to work hard to keep it. So this wealthy man, I don't want you to think of someone um, like a, uh, a Wall Street uh, speculator. This is someone who's worked hard his whole life. He's earned what he has. He's done his due diligence. He took care of his father and his mother as they were dying. And now he himself has his own children. And he has two sons. He has an older son and a younger son. And they're both really great. And they have stayed with him on the farm, which is what you did back then. Especially if your family was wealthy, you would stay on the farm and you would work it. Because that was the the right thing to do was to help your family and to stay with your family. So they had a little bit different um, culture than we do now. Uh, they were very honor-shame. You honored your parents by staying with them and working at a family farm. And if you, if you did anything wrong, you would shame the family. And that was the worst thing that you could do. And so this father, he had two sons. The older son uh, was a typical first child. He played everything by the book. He was a good leader. Um, he did everything that he was uh, supposed to do. He worked hard on the farm. And then he had a younger son, the second son, um, who was more of a typical second child, right? Maybe a little bit like more of a loose cannon. He was maybe a little bit more of a creative and artisan, uh, but he still stayed on the farm and he still worked. Well, this younger son was seeing his friends go off. Maybe his friends weren't as wealthy as he, as he was and his family was. So they didn't have a farm to stay on. And so they would leave the community. They would leave their, where they were. They would leave Israel maybe and go and travel the world. Some of them as merchants, they would go and sell things, uh, for wealthy merchants into Egypt and Africa and up into the Northern, um, uh, tribes even. And some of his friends actually were mercenaries. They were hired uh, swordsmen. And so they would go off and have these grand adventures where they would go and fight in these battles for the Roman Empire or for other kings and such. And this younger son started feeling like he was missing out, right? He was getting a little envious. That He's like, I'm here on the farm. This isn't really what I want. I want to go off and, and, and have adventures. I want to leave and go explore. I want to go try new things. And pretty soon this envy that was kind of circling around and rolling around in his head, turned into some bitterness towards his father. He's like, I just want my father to understand. I want my father to give me what I want. I want him to give me the freedom to go and to leave. And this bitterness for his father eventually turns into hate. He begins to hate his father because his father isn't giving him the gifts that he wants. He begins to hate him. Finally, after kind of kind of a dwelling on this hate and this bitterness for his dad. He, he gets up enough courage, he gets up enough boldness, and he goes to his father one day and he says, Father, I want my share of the inheritance. Which when do you get an inheritance? When someone dies, right? So really what he said to his father, he goes up to his father and he says, Dad, drop dead. I wish you were dead. I wish you no longer existed so I could just have what's mine. Now the room kind of went silent there. 
even in our own culture where we are more gentle with our parenting, right? And that's probably better. Uh, 2,000 years ago, they were not as gentle in their parenting. The father was the ruler of his domain, and even his adult children were part of his domain. So you go up and you disrespect your father like this. The feet and shoes were kind of considered nasty. They were considered kind of unclean. The dad could have taken his sandal off and he could have whooped the boy. He could have thumped him upside the the back of the head, which is what my, I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'm just a fat redneck and I'm like, okay with that. My mama would thumb me upside the head. She would hit me upside the head. If someone else, some other kid was disrespecting their mama, she would hit me upside the head and tell me never to do that. Right. Uh, but now it's a little bit more, we're a little more gentle, which may be better. Uh, but back then it was even more so this father, he could have whooped his son. He could have, he could have hung him up by his feet. He could have beaten him. He could have killed him. He could have shamed him, shunned him from the family and sent him off with nothing. All of those things would have been totally understandable and totally fair for that father to do. The son comes up, tells his dad to drop dead. And the father could probably do whatever he wanted. He could have killed the son and no one would have thought twice about it. But this surprising father doesn't respond that way. This surprising father actually says something else. He says, okay. Now, if you were a Jewish listener, you would stop dead in your tracks. This father did what? That's what this father does. Okay. You want your inheritance? You can have it. So as the younger, uh, younger brother, as a younger son, he would have gotten a third of the property. So uh, I, don't know, I don't know all the logistics, but I'm guessing that the father would have had to carve up his property, will a third to his son, will a third of the servants, and a third of the business to his son, even a third of whatever cash on hand they might have. Then the son would have had to sell it, probably back to his father, right? And he would have had to sell, sold all this land and all these uh, servants, and then he took the cash and he left. And he went to a far off country and he spent for several years, he spent that money on drugs, on prostitutes, on drink, on anything lavishly that he could have, he did have. And he lived it up. He lived up the life that he always wanted until the money ran out. So not a skilled worker, right? Probably worked on a farm. Um, so then he d- ended up being a day laborer, right? Kind of a wage worker. And he would go out and eventually he wound up working for um, a pig farmer. And he went, worked, for, worked with the pigs. And as a Jewish boy, you were not supposed to touch pigs. Pigs were ritually unclean. So you were not supposed to touch them or work with them. And so here, this Jewish boy who came from a wealthy family with a father who had a farm, who gave him everything he, need, he needed, he finds himself working for a Gentile on, with pigs. This is the bottom of the barrel. This is the worst that it could get. And after a while of doing this, he just doesn't have money. He can't afford to eat. And he's so hungry. He's sitting in the pig pen, looking at the pig slop and thinking, if only I could have that. If only I could eat the slop that the pigs have. And of course, he can't eat it because that would be stealing from his employer, right? And then he really could be killed or sent away. And so sitting in that pig pen... Looking at the pig slop, he becomes envious even of the pigs themselves because they get to eat the slop 
and he doesn't. And this is when he comes to himself and he says, you know what? I'm sitting here envious of the pigs because of the slop that they have. And my father's slaves have more than enough bread to eat. They have more food than they could eat. They have leftovers every meal. He says, what am I doing here? And so he uh, begins to rehearse um, the, the, the speech in his head, right? He's going to go to his father and he's going to say, Father, I sinned before heaven and I sinned before you. If you take me back, just take me back as a slave. I don't even need to be your son. I don't, need to, I don't want any claim to any more inheritance. Just let me be a slave in your, in your farm, at your farm. And so he takes what he has left, which probably is just the clothes on his back, and he starts walking back to his home. And as he's getting up to the property, his father sees him from quite a ways off. And the father pulls up his tunic and begins running toward his younger son. And the servants are coming soon after him. Um, And the younger son sees his father running with a group of servants. And he thinks, okay, this is it. This is when I die. Because this father could have done anything to this son he wanted to. Could have killed, he could have beat, he could have done anything. So the son just falls to his knees and just waits for the father to come. The father gets a few feet in front of him and the son starts his rehearsed speech. Father, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned before you. But before the son can even finish his speech, the father takes a step for him and the son thinks this is it. This is when I'm going to be beaten. He's going to hang me up by my feet. He's going to do whatever he wants to me. This is it. And this surprising father does not do that. But instead, the surprising father wraps his arms around this stinking, ritually unclean son of his. Probably with the pigsty smell, the slop smell still on him, wraps his arms around him, kisses him, and tells one of the servants, bring my best robe and put it on him. Bring my best ring and put it on him. Bring nice sandals and put them on him. Because my son has... Returned, And if you are a Jewish listener hearing Jesus tell this story, you are dead quiet. Because there's no way a father behaves this way. This is inconceivable for a father to behave this way. So the surprising father, the story of the surprising father continues. And the father brings the boy in and they kill the best calf that they have and they begin to have this party. And it's important to know, again, in this honor-shame kind of culture, they would have these ritual parties and ritual mornings. And it really didn't matter if you like felt excited or sad. You participated in the celebration or the mourning because that's just what you did. It was all about the community, not really about you as an individual. And so they have this party, and all the servants are there partying it up. The rest of the family's there partying it up. And the son and some of the servants come, the older son comes back from the fields, and they hear all this ruckus down there. And uh, the older son grabs one of the servants and says, hey, what's going on with this? And the servant says, oh, your, your younger brother, he's returned. He's come back. And so your dad killed the best calf, and he's throwing a party for him. And, of course, the older son does what? I don't know, we all probably would do. And he goes and he pouts, right? And he thinks it's unfair that the younger brother gets a party and he doesn't. And in fact, he begins to become envious of his younger brother because he starts thinking, dad has never thrown a party for me like this. And I've been here the whole time. 
He's treating my younger brother better than me. And this envy turns into bitterness, which eventually turns into hate of his father. And he refuses to go to this party and word gets back to the father. And he comes out to kind of reason with um, the older son. And he says, son, why don't you come, Why don't you participate in our celebration? Because that was expected of them. Everyone had to participate. He kind of tried to reason with him. And finally, the older son just lost it. And says, Dad, I've been here the whole time. I've worked like a slave for you. I have never left. I've never disrespected you. And yet you're throwing him a party who wasted a third of our farm, wasted a third of our property, wasted a third of our wealth. You're throwing him a party. What's the deal, Dad? You've never given me anything like that. Now, again, parents parented a little bit rougher back then. So... A son, even an adult son, disrespects a father like this. The sandal can come off. He can be beat. He could be sent away, shunned. That probably wouldn't happen, but he could. He could even be killed. Again, it probably wouldn't happen, but it could. The father would have had every right to do whatever he wanted to punish the son. And yet, this surprising father doesn't do this. The surprising father instead says, son, you've been with me the whole time. Everything I have is yours. It's always been yours. You have all of me. You have all of my property. Your younger brother may have gotten a third of it and went and wasted it, but you've had all of it the whole time. And your son, he left our family. He was dead to us, and now he has returned. He's alive again And now he, he wasted a third, but now he has everything again. This is a cause for celebration. Because this son, your younger brother, was lost, but he's been found. He had a third, but now he has everything. And you have everything. All that is mine is yours. That's the story of the surprising father. It's a pretty good story, isn't it? That's a good one. There's a great moment in this story, uh, right in the middle when the son, the younger son, he's sitting in the pigsty and he's looking at the slop. He's envious of the pigs. And it says this, but when he came to himself, and that word um, literally means thinking straight. When he was started thinking reasonably, he said, here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father. So the younger son has this moment where he's realizing his whole life, he has had free lodging, free food. He's been paid a fair wage to work on his father's home. He has had everything that his father wanted to give him. He had everything that his father had. And he realizes that he's sitting in a pig pen, envious of the pig slop, wishing that he could eat the pig slop. He came to himself and realized how bad his situation actually was. And here's the truth. Envy in your life and in mine, as we think about and desire the things that we don't have, it actually kind of makes us bitter towards the things that we do have, right? And eventually it actually makes us kind of hate the things that we do have. My neighbor, um, he's a truck driver, but he has this sweet long haul driver. He has this sweet F-150 Raptor with a special ops trim. And dude, that thing is clean. It is a cool truck. I love that truck. My son, Augustine, also loves that truck. And every single day, uh, our, 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 um, our driveways are right next to each other. And every single day, I drive into my driveway and have to park 
my stupid little Honda CRV, little college girl car, right next to that sweet F-150 every single day. And there have been many times that I've thought about driving that truck, right? And in fact, there, have been, there was a while that I was actually, I kind of hated the car that I had because I wanted a truck like this. That's a little bit of a, that's kind of a small study in what our lives are like under envy. When we are envious, when we say, oh, I wish my spouse would act like this instead of that. I wish my home didn't have so many cracks and was this way instead of that. I wish that I had that car instead of this one. I wish I had that life instead of this one. I wish I had those children instead of my children. When we start to envy and desire the things we don't have, it actually produces within us a bitterness and a hate toward the things that we do have. And really, oftentimes, it, le- it leads us to hate God because we hate that he hasn't given us the things that we want. And most of our friends and families um, and neighbors who have left the faith, it's actually because of a hate of God. They may not realize it, but it's because they want gifts that they haven't received. They want something they haven't been given. And they begin to hate God just like the younger son started hating the father. Just like the older son started hating the father because they weren't getting the thing that they wanted. The thing that they thought they deserved. The thing that they thought that they wanted. And so the challenge for you is to come to yourself this morning. If you find yourself being bitter about what you have. It can, be, it can be something physical you have, like a car or a house. It can be uh, some relationship that you have with your spouse or your family or your kids or whatever. If you find yourself bitter about what you have because you want it to be like something else, you're suffering from envy. And I'm telling you this, congregation, that you're sitting in a pig pen looking at pig slop and you're envious of the pigs because of the slop that they have. It's not a good place to be. And I can tell you what, your neighbor's family, pardon me, it's the same stinking stuff, but just the next stall over, right? No one has it perfect. Social media, people think that they they act like everything's perfect on social media. Things aren't, right? Your envy is you sitting in a pig pen, envious of pig slop. And you need to come to yourself this morning. And here's the flip side of this. Is that there is a God, a good, good father, who is giving you gifts. He's giving you salvation. He's giving you freedom from guilt. He's giving you freedom from sin. He's giving you uh, freedom from shame and fear. He's giving you things like the fruit of the spirit, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and, and etc. And I'll tell you what, I could use a little bit more joy in my life, right? I could use a little bit more peace in my life. I could use a little bit more kindness and faithfulness and self-control. I could use a little bit more of the fruit of the spirit in my life. And God's saying, here it is. The problem is I'm looking at the pig slop instead of receiving his promises to me. Instead of receiving his gifts. Uh, parables are great. They give us a lot of good truth. This is a parable. This story of the, of the surprising father. 
um, but they don't have everything quite right, right? They're not, the details aren't exactly right. So in this story, the son actually has to walk back to his father, back to his father's house. But in our own lives, what we find is that after we're in the pig pen, envious of the pig slop, when we come to ourselves and we repent of our envy and we say, God, this isn't working anymore. I hate that I'm bitter toward my spouse. I hate that I'm bitter about my house. I hate that I hate my house, my car, my spouse, my family, whatever. I hate this about me. When we say, Lord, I no longer want to do this, and we turn around, God's already sitting in the pig pen with us, and he has the gifts, and he's just giving them. And he's saying, here's freedom from guilt. Here's peace. Here's joy. Here's salvation. Here's eternal life. Here's my love and support. Here's the comfort Here's all, as in Ephesians 1, we're told that we have all the spiritual blessings from the heavenly places. What does that even mean, right? That's huge. And we're sitting in a pig pen, envious of pig slop. So the way that we erase envy is actually a little bit counterintuitive. Because we don't need to remove something from our lives. We actually need to add something. We need to start receiving God's gift. We need to realize that we're sitting in the pig pen that our envy is causing all sorts of bitterness and hate in our lives. We need to realize that we're, we're looking at the pig slop with envy and we need to simply turn around, repent of that, and receive the gifts that God is pouring on us, lavishly pouring on us. He's giving them to us. And we're sitting in the pig pen. So as we receive God's gifts through his word, through uh, communion, through baptism, through our friends and family who are Christians, as we are receiving the gifts of comfort and peace and joy and all sorts of those other good things that God gives us, it actually begins to root out the envy in our lives. We find ourselves to be a lot happier, a lot more peaceful, a lot more patient. And it's because God has been giving them to us the whole time. He's been pouring these gifts on us. He's sitting there in the pig pen with us saying, Take it. It's yours. Everything that I have is yours. And if we receive God's promises in our lives, that's the way that we erase envy. Amen. It's the elephant in